0: It is wonderful to be with you worshiping this morning. Uh, I am uh, Peter. I'm one of the pastors at Church of the Cross, one of the church that has helped send out restoration. And we're so glad for all of you. and It's great to see people I know and so many that I don't know. That's what I really want when I see, when I come, is to see a lot of people that I should meet at some point. But some of the people that I, I know, it's fun to get haggled and, you know, messed with and things like that and whatnot. Uh, and I'm glad I get to be joined with my, my wife is here today with her kids there in the back. You might see them at some point, so it's nice to, for that. You can all be seated. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we can come together and worship you uh, in spirit and in truth. And I thank you for the gift of your word and the way you've um, left us so much testimony about yourself. And I ask that you, you um, teach us through your word now. Teach us um, through what I'd be saying and even in, over and above and against what I might be saying this morning. So be with us, Lord. In your name, amen. Uh, so I have I have two young boys. Uh, Corin is seven and my son Ellis is three and a half, and they're, I think, in Sunday school, which is great. Um, and so this, a uh, lot of things come up with boys, but lately in my, my home, because of these young boys, corn in particular, teeth have become a very regular topic of concern for us, and that's because um, we are starting to work through a lot of baby teeth with corn. He's lost seven now, and it's been a little surprising for me. I didn't realize that losing teeth would often be so stressful. Um, There are just times when there's that little pinch of pain and a little drop of blood, and that can bring real fears of something worse along with it. So I've tried to reassure Corin. I've told him stories from my own childhood about how my dad helped me with my teeth. Um, So when my dad, when I would have a loose tooth, I would go to my dad and say, Hey, Dad, this tooth is loose. And he would, you know, well, let me check and see. And he'd wiggle it once or twice. Then he would just jam it out in one quick motion. And for the first few teeth, that worked great uh, until the one tooth when it didn't, it wasn't actually that loose, it hurt quite a bit, Um, and so I never went back to my dad for help with my teeth. So I tell Corin, don't worry, I'm not going to do that to you, I don't have trust in my finger strength, I guess, but the story hasn't worked as I wanted and now Corin won't come to me at all for these problems, he goes to just Liz. Um, But in all this, I have come to really appreciate the role of the tooth fairy. You know, when you think about it, it is a little weird for part of your body to kind of fall off. Uh, but then there 's the tooth fairy and and she really helps because she offers hope it 's hope not just of a lost tooth, which may not always be so exciting, but hope of reward. Think about what losing that tooth gets you cash <laughs> and that helps even just a little to bring perseverance in this it 's still a little hard to finally get that tooth out, but it goes a little quicker, a little more smoothly, and less dramatically because. Something good will come in the end. Now, of course, that's really not all that unusual for all of us, and I mean that motivation we find in hope. For all of us young and old, hope gives us the strength and reason to carry on, even despite great personal loss and hardship, often a whole lot more than just losing a tooth. We all hope. I don't really think that's a problem for us. The problem comes in with what do we hope in, because we often hope in the wrong things. And at some point when we hope in the wrong thing, that catches up with us. Many times we begin to hope for wealth to give our life purpose and meaning or like make life safe for us, or I hope for ultimate fulfillment in relationships. Maybe we just place that hope in ourselves. If I am just who I really want to be, then things will work out for me. But all these things in the end will let us down. They are not big enough. They are not strong enough to be a foundation for our hope. And the foundation of hope, this is actually at the very center of our Hebrews reading today. And and it is so because it was such a concern for the original church that this letter was written to. So this church um, in the book of Hebrews, uh, we know they were going through all the normal struggles of life. That's not a surprise for anything. They were working through relationship problems, health problems, work, and other things with the culture around them. But this church was also beginning to undergo violent persecution. And for some, all of that um, suffering on top of everything else led to not just questions about their faith, but it was leading to real apathy towards their faith. Um, they were losing sight of the hope that they had and they're wondering, is this all really worth it? And even many were starting to think of returning to the way things were before they became Christians. They knew they wouldn't be undergoing these problems if things were just as they were. And so actually, um, the author of Hebrews has a, takes time to really firmly, almost harshly challenge this church and warn them about their sluggishness. This is actually happening in the verses leading up to the passage we have in front of us today. Uh, It's important to remember just for how this one leads out. But in the passage before this, we see that the people in the church are being, many are losing faith. They're being sluggish. They're having to be constantly reminded about their belief because they just don't really care anymore. They aren't taking those things seriously. It's all coming from this this loss of hope they're having. So this author warns them very seriously, saying, don't fall away from Christ, seemingly meaning turning totally back to the way things were before. And then it's at the end of this stern correction where our passage picks up, and here that author turns strongly to hope. Uh, In verse 9, we actually see sort of a personal hope from him. He just explains, I'm warning you about this, but I'm pretty convinced that's not going to happen. Because the church is still showing that they love God, especially through the way they have been serving. They were and still are serving the saints well. He says God won't overlook this. But then verse 11, the author wraps up this whole challenge. He begins wrapping up this challenge um, by using that service they have as this example of what he's really calling them to. They've been serving well. Apparently, they've been serving with real zeal. And so the author says, you need to keep that up, but you need to have not just that passion for service, you need to have that passion for your hope. Even until the end, you need to hold on to hope with such zeal and passion. Otherwise, you're going to continue in sluggishness and apathy, or even you are going to turn away. Instead, he says, you need to imitate those who have inherited the promises um, through their faith and perseverance. You need to be like those who have held on to hope. You see, the author of this letter is certain that if the church remembers their hope and if they fight to hold on to this hope, of course, if they know what this hope really is, then they will make it through. No matter their personal struggles or the persecution they face, they can hold on. They can even grow in their faith. So then the next paragraph here, we find the author building again this foundation for the hope that we have. And it is a foundation that is built on God's faithfulness to his promises. So in verses 13 and 14, we have an example of how God keeps his promises. It comes to us through the story of Abraham. Uh, It's very specifically the story that we already have in the bulletin, sometimes called the story of uh, the sacrifice of Isaac or the binding of Isaac. It's from the very end of Abraham's life. And at the end of this moment, we see God very powerfully confirm his promise to Abraham. Even more, he confirms it with an oath for the very first time here. And so this is very important, central to the author of Hebrews. And we're going to come back to that. But first, we should take a minute to think more about Abraham. His story was very intentionally chosen as a focus here. He's meant as our example for faith and perseverance in this letter. And I think that's because of how important the promise God made to him was and is. Uh, but even more, Abraham just gives us a really wonderful, relatable example of, of, uh, that we, can, we understand in so many ways. So if you think about Abraham, if you're familiar with him, you may remember um, he was commended for the faith that he had in God. But at the same time, we have so many stories about his mistakes and his failures, even often mistakes around that faith that he had in God. Uh, It was two different times that happened that Abraham had great fear with these powerful kings he met. He was much more afraid of these kings than he was um, sure of God's promise. In those instances, he lied about his wife. He said his wife was only his sister because he was so worried these kings would find her too beautiful and kill him to take her for themselves. And in both of those instances, we have to remember God saves the day. God saves Sarah, his wife, saves the kings even, and keeps his promise to Abraham. And then in a much more... Even more tragic incident, Abraham and Sarah try to make God's promise happen to them on their own. They're awaiting a son of the promise, and so Abraham has his son Ishmael through Sarah's servant Hagar, and throughout that whole story, they treat Hagar and Ishmael quite poorly, but God intervenes again, and he saves Hagar and Ishmael, and he continues that promise to Abraham. So one of the main things we're just supposed to remember here as we're thinking about God's promise. is that God's promises, our hope in his faithfulness and in him in general, it's not tied to us in any way. It has nothing to do with us in this. God remains faithful despite Abraham, despite his failures and sins. Now again, the author of Hebrews is finishing up this really challenging correction for the church. He's warning them not to turn away from Christ. And then we have Abraham's big failures, and they are a great reminder that failing and sinning that's not the same as fully turning away from Christ. Our failure doesn't break God's promises. Our sins don't end his forgiveness. These don't destroy our hope in him. We can still hold to hope because God is faithful. This is just who he is, always faithful, always true, always redeeming. And along with this, this reminder on the trustworthiness of God's promises uh, God's promises. It comes to us through this hard story of Abraham's great testing. Abraham and Sarah had waited for decades for a promised son. And then after having that son, God tells Abraham to go and sacrifice him. And it's an incredibly difficult command, but by this point, Abraham was ready to listen. He'd gone through many difficulties and challenges and suffering, and he had learned to trust God in these trials. He had learned to hold on to faith and perseverance, even in tremendous suffering and waiting. And this is meant as a great example for this persecuted church. Hold on to hope. Remember God's faithfulness even in the face of your suffering. But it's a reminder for us as well. The author of Hebrews isn't telling us that if we simply hold on to hope, then everything will be okay, Um, then everything will just be instantly better. That is not at all what he is saying. A life that is characterized by this hope can still be very messy and hard. It will be filled with trials and suffering at various points, But we are called to still be eager for the fulfillment of our hope. No matter what is happening in our lives, sickness or death, job insecurity, family troubles, personal failings and sin, hold on to hope. And we can hold on to hope because the focus of this isn't us. It is God. It is God's faithfulness and his great promises. Our hope is about something and someone infinitely bigger than us, which gives us something solid and sure to hold on to. So the point then of these next verses is, is just how solid this hope really is because of how solid God's promises are. And the author emphasizes this by focusing kind of unusually on the way God makes this promise to Abraham, by focusing down not just on the promise, but the way God confirms this with an oath. So you see in verse 16, the author takes a moment to just remind us of how important oaths really are. He says, people swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath serves as a confirmation to end all dispute. Really, this is just a basic description of ancient legal practice. You swear an oath to prove the reliability of your testimony, things like that. But it's not all that different for us today, is it? If I was to give sworn testimony in court, I would probably have to answer a question that sounds a lot like... Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Often that question still ends with, so help you God. And who among us haven't even just heard someone personally defending their honesty by saying, I swear to God? We really understand this point. Oaths matter. They are serious. And that's the point. We take oaths seriously, and God, knowing that, makes an oath. His promise was already certain and sure, but because God wanted to demonstrate more clearly that his purpose was unchangeable, he even makes an oath. It says he wanted to demonstrate. It's a very intense word. God desired. He longed to demonstrate that his purpose was unchangeable. And that's because he wanted Abraham and his descendants, he wants us to know and hold on to just how trustworthy he really is. God's words don't really need confirmation. But in all of this, he comes down to our level. We need to know he will keep his promise. And so he makes an oath, swearing by himself here, because there's no one else he can swear by who's greater. Now, if you're used to this story of God and Abraham, if you've grown up in the church and you've heard it a lot, it can become easy to miss just how important all this is, but how unusual all of this really is, that God makes a promise with a human, even confirming it with an oath like this. This isn't really how things work now and it's not how things worked at this time in any relationship, let alone any relationship that involved the various gods that people tended to worship. Promises and faithfulness, they were always required from the lesser person, the lesser power or member in a relationship. If we think about the way they made treaties at this time, the lesser power in the treaty, they were the one who made all the oaths, who made all the promises, and they were the one who was bound to keep them. The greater power may or may not make those things and everyone knew they weren't bound by them. But here we have God, the greatest power, making and keeping his promises to this one old man and his family. And it's not because Abraham could have done anything if God broke those promises. It's because this is just who God is. And this is a reminder we all need. I'm sure we've all been hurt or felt betrayed by someone who didn't keep their promise to us. And even more, so many of us have known the confusion and frustration and pain that comes when someone in authority doesn't do as they said they would. So this is a truth we all need to hear again and again. God does keep his promises. He is always faithful to his word. He wants us to be certain of that. He wants us to know that we can trust him to do what he has said and then even more. So it is his great promise, confirmed even with an oath, That gives us encouragement to hold on to our hope. This is what we see in verse 18. The author says, We have this encouragement to hope because of two unchangeable things, since it is impossible for God to lie. These two unchangeable things here, it's God's promise and God's oath. We hold on to hope because of both of those things, and we know they are unchangeable because God can't lie. Now this doesn't mean that God is unable to do something in a way that makes him weak. This is about God's character. It is against God's character to lie. He is holy. He is true. He will not and he cannot lie. So we can hold on to this promise and his oath, both being certainly true. So we who have found refuge in him may find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. All of us who have turned to God to find refuge, protection, and rest in him, we can be encouraged to hold on to hope. He kept his promise to Abraham. He was so certain about that, he confirmed it with an oath. He is trustworthy and faithful. We can rely on him. And that's just the lesson for us that we get from the example of Abraham and of God's promise to him. But really, we know so much more than this. We've seen so much more. So how much more certain? How much more defined can our hope be? And that's the point of these last verses in 1920. We have considered God's faithfulness to his promise to Abraham, and that alone is great encouragement. But we have even more reason to hope because we have Jesus. He says, We have this hope which reaches inside behind the curtain, where Jesus, our forerunner, entered on our behalf. The image here is of the, the earthly temple we find in the Old Testament. Very specifically, it's the Holy of Holies. That was the unique place uh, in the temple in the world where God was present in a different way at this time. Uh, and it was separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain. But actually, the author's concern isn't this temple as such. Um, it's, he's using it as an image. The author's real concern here is to think about heaven. He concerns... Uh, He explains throughout the book of Hebrews that this earthly temple actually points to a heavenly temple, to a greater, much more true reality. And it's a little complicated, but just the point is, our hope isn't just simply in reaching behind the curtain of this Old Testament temple, which is now destroyed. It's not a great hope for us. It's that our hope goes with Jesus behind the veil of the heavenly temple. Our hope goes with Jesus right to the very throne of God. It is a hope of entering Into and dwelling in God's presence. And we have that hope because Jesus is our forerunner. The idea is that Jesus has gone before us, He makes a way for us to follow Him. Jesus is our forerunner entering behind the curtain on our behalf. He goes before us, He makes a way so that we can follow Him. We can move with Him right into the holy, righteous, loving presence of our God and Father, and we can dwell there with Him. That is our hope. It's not hope for health and wealth or easy living. It's not hope for individual fulfillment. It is hope for the very presence of God for all eternity. That is the hope that we are being called to cling to. That is the hope we are eagerly waiting to have fulfilled. It's a hope grounded in God's faithfulness to his promises and in the completed work of Christ. Because of his life, death, resurrection, ascension, Jesus is even now at the Father's side and he has made a way for us to join him there. This is our hope, an anchor for our soul, sure and steadfast. Now we do have to hold fast and wait for this hope. Its ultimate fulfillment is not here yet. But even now, Jesus is at the Father's side. He is our great high priest. He's made final atonement for us. He is working and interceding for us so we do have hope for our future but not just that. We have hope for the present because we know that Jesus is working now, that he is now reigning and we know that we can trust him to do more than we can ask or imagine. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you um, for all that you have done and I thank you that you are the center of this great hope we have and I ask that you inspire that hope in us, fill us um, more and more with the, the joy and the certainty that comes from that and send us out in strength uh, to proclaim you and proclaim this hope that we have of life with you forever um, in the world around us. In your name, amen.